Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Pod. This is the podcast that's all about pets. I'm Zara Boland. I'm a vet, a consultant, and an all-around animal lover. And each episode, I'm going to be joined by one or two of my veterinary friends and colleagues from across the pet healthcare industry so that we can offer you handy tips and some expert advice to help keep your beloved family pet healthy and above all, happy. Today's podcast is supported by YouMove, the UK's number one vet joint supplement brand for dogs. Clinically proven to work in just six weeks, YouMove is recommended for older dogs who are starting to slow down and show some signs of stiffness. Now, as many of you know, my own dog, Rumba, is already nine years old, and like many other dog owners, I'm always on the lookout for ways to make life a little bit more comfortable for her as she gets older. And that's why she's been taking YouMove for a few months now. But YouMove also have a range of products available to help younger dogs, and indeed those canine athletes, to stay on top form. And you'll be pleased to know it's also available for cats, horses, and even us humans. Now, what I really love about the team at YouMove is that they're on a mission to make sure every dog, cat, and horse lives their most active life for life. And that's why they're offering a 40% discount code to everyone who listens to the pet pod. Simply visit youmove.co.uk and enter the code PETPOD40 when you get to the checkout. Plus, you can also be in with a chance to win a year's supply of YouMove for your own dog, cat, or horse. Enter the draw at youmove.co.uk slash pages slash pet pod and the winner will be drawn at random and announced on the 13th of January. So good luck! Now today we're talking about noise phobias in our pets and my guest is Karen Pienaar who I'm delighted to be welcoming back to the pet pod for the second time. Karen has been involved in animal behaviour for over 20 years, and after studying in the UK, she based her practice back home in Johannesburg, South Africa, where she now consults with pet owners on a variety of companion animal behaviour problems. As one of the two partners of COPE International, Karen now spends most of her time presenting their prestigious diploma in animal behaviour and working with students around the world. And as if all of that wasn't enough, in her free time she also writes for an assortment of magazines. So I'm really delighted that she's been able to find some time to join me today for a chat. Well, Karen, welcome back to the Pet Pod. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So it's probably the worst time of year for our pets when it comes to those that that suffer from from noise phobias. And I think maybe the first thing to talk about is that, you know, 
we ourselves understand that an unexpected noise can be really startling and loud noises can be startling but also very frightening for some of our pets and fireworks is the most obvious example that kind of springs to mind but noise phobias can actually arise from any kind of everyday sound can't they they can yes you know it all depends on the learning that goes around that's paired with the experience if uh, if a dog or a cat even because um, a lot of people don't realize that cats are also very susceptible to noise phobias uh, you know if a dog or a cat is experiencing something that suddenly startles them whatever happened around that incident is forever etched into their memories and so you know if you have a cat who is sleeping on the couch and fast asleep doing his own thing minding his own business and somebody starts to vacuum clean right next to him, he is going to have a huge big reaction to that. And that is normally how these things start, very often by sheer accident. Poor luck, really. Yes, and it does uh, often happen when we're talking about puppies and kittens too, doesn't it? Yes, very much so. You know, But I think also it's important just to add that it's not just puppies and kittens. You can have a dog or a cat who's been perfectly fine with noises for his whole life and then suddenly he's living in a new house and he's put in a strange room and there's a thunderstorm and now suddenly you have a dog who's thunderphobic. The ability to cope with things like thunderphobia or noise phobia is very often location specific. Okay so talk to me a little bit more about that, give me an example. Well, like I said, if you have a dog who has learned that in this particular household, um, I'm fine when I'm in the laundry and there's a thunderstorm because the laundry is in my safe space because it smells like my owners, my bed's there, all the good things are there. Uh, and if the owners move house, now the dog is still put in the laundry, but it's not the same laundry. And now suddenly you have a dog who's absolutely terrified. Here in South Africa, our thunderstorms are usually in the late afternoons or evenings. And that's normally the time when most people are home. So most people, when there are thunderstorms, they let the animals come into the house and then the dog or the cat sleep under the couch or under the bed or inside. And that's the safe space. But occasionally we have thunderstorms during the day. And before COVID, if people were not home, and the dog would be outside, for example, because here it's not great. We don't really, we try and encourage people not to do it, but a lot of people do leave their pets outside during the day because it's sunny and it's warm and all that kind of stuff. If you have an unexpected thunderstorm and you have a thunderphobic dog who's learned that I survive these things when I'm inside under the couch, and now you have a thunderstorm, that's often where we see these dogs trying to break in through glass doors or ripping up wooden doors to try and get inside. Because as far as the dog is concerned, I survive this when I'm in that spot. And that is the, the coping mechanism. And as soon as the coping mechanism is no longer available, you have that absolute panic that kicks in almost. Well, let's bring it back to basics and talk about some of the common behaviors that we'll see in, let's start with dogs, that show us that they're scared and that that kind of spectrum from a little bit of fear and anxiety to full on panic and, and, and terror. Okay, so normally when you're dealing with an animal with an existing unpleasant association with, with thunderstorms or loud noises, uh, let's keep it just to thunderstorms first and then we'll talk about fireworks a little bit later because they have different manifestations. Normally with animals with thunderphobia, as soon as there are, it depends also on the degree of the noise phobia, let me just add that. If you have a dog who suffers from really bad noise phobia, they'll often start to show signs of nervousness or worry 
as there's a cloud that appears in the sky or if there's a drop in atmospheric pressure, that's when you'll see them pacing around a lot. Uh, you'll see them panting a lot. Depending on the degree of fear, you'll see salivation. It's almost like a person who's nervous, who's got that nervous energy that they're trying to dis dissipate. Restlessness. Restlessness, yes. Lots of trying to get into places, lots of trying to get under places. And then you get the ones that internalize that fear and you get the ones that will just lie in the corner and, and tremble and shake. Uh, people often miss those because it's not an active expression and they think, oh, you know, my dog's sleeping. Um, but the absence of behavior can be as telling as the presence of behavior. People miss that, unfortunately. So if you have a dog that as soon as there's a cloud in the sky or if it's that time of year and you see that your dog's behavior changes and they start looking for dens and dark places and to be under things or around you all the time, just be cognizant of the fact that your dog might actually be really, really worried about noises. Mm -hmm. you know, and then you get the full-blown absolute panic where the dog tries to either break in or break out yeah um, and those are the ones that are generally easier to spot for a lack of a better term purely because there's so much damage and this can be damage to themselves because they're in such a panic that they don't actually feel that they're ripping out a tooth I mean I've dealt with a dog who went through a glass window and she had cut herself into shreds, but hadn't felt it because she was in such a panic to get in. Pure adrenaline. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about cats then. Yeah. So cats actually, they can show some similarities, can't they, with dogs? I mean, they can also try and hide and run away, but there are some very marked differences with cat behavior as well. So Very much so. Talk us through that. Cats tend to more employ the, the flight and run away and hide strategy where they'll find a small dark space and they'll squeeze themselves in there. Um, they do also tend to run around in a panic if they don't find a, a small space. But that's usually the biggest similarity between dogs and cats. But cats I've also noticed, um, correct me if I'm wrong, a, a very anxious cat might would also be over grooming a lot. Yes, but usually the over grooming happens um, either just before or after. During, it's just complete panic. Uh, and then you have the cats that will normally huddle and, and basically squeeze themselves in and you just see these big eyes from underneath wherever it is where they're hiding. But the overgrooming helps to make them feel better. But that usually happens before or after because right in the middle of it, when you've got that complete disinhibition into 5F, um, you don't have the necessarily the capacity to find a thing to make you feel better in the moment. But it depends on the level. Yep. But it's a sign for people to look out for. Yes. And I think just talking about storms, and I think it's a good one to, to bring up because quite often I know with my own, um, my own cats, for a classic example on this, there's not a cloud in the sky when he starts to get anxious. So he knows. And I think it's people associate it with a thunderclap, but it's not. There's a drop in the pressure, the stuff that we're not aware of that they pick up on. And that's when they'll start to get anxious. Absolutely. You know, and that's pretty much how most phobias work. You learn to read the things that predict the scary thing that's going to happen to you. And they become so sensitized to it that, you know, it actually starts to become almost maladaptive. It starts to interfere with their ability to perform normal activities. Uh, and those are the cases normally where you can desensitize and counter condition until you're blue in the face and you're not going to make any headway because those are the cases normally where some kind of pharmacological assistance is required. Mm -hmm. 
So, okay, well, let's talk about what we can do then, because we, we definitely can care for our pets. And there's, I guess, there's various levels of management from the short term, sharp solution, which might well be medication. If it's a very severe um, phobic response on a, on a night of fireworks, for example, we can predict that. Um, but the short term management solutions, there's longer term management solutions. And then obviously there is that that includes medication as well. So why don't we start with the long term solutions first? Long-term solution is when you get a dog, when you get a puppy, when you get a kitten, get them used to loud noises. Uh, You can't ever really desensitize them for the drop in atmospheric pressure because us humans aren't really aware of it. But what you can do is you can build up a reinforcement history that says when there are loud noises, great things happen. So if you have a dog or a cat, uh, particularly the younger puppies and kittens, lots of loud noises, make a loud bang and then give them a cookie. A dog treat. (laughs) Yes, yes. So when you have a kitten or a puppy, make sure that you create a pleasant association with scary things. And obviously, the earlier you start, the better. If you get a puppy in winter, uh, well, it depends also where in the globe you are. If you get a puppy outside of thunder or fireworks season, do your homework. Don't leave it. And, And people normally look at me funny when I say, you know what? Slam a door and give them a dog treat or a cat treat if you're dealing with a cat. Um, Move furniture around because people tend to forget the prep work that goes into this. I think what you're talking about there is what I would refer to as key socialization training with a puppy and a kitten. And so, for example, when I had my puppy, she was, I think, eight weeks when I got her. And for, the, for that four-week period from eight to 12 weeks and well past it, as soon as she was vaccinated and able to go outside, I took her on the buses, on the trains, on streets. I just exposed her to every possible stimuli so that, or stimulus so that she, she you know, wouldn't be fearful because I'd reward her every time she didn't react, which is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, that, that critical habituation period is absolutely just worth its weight in gold if you do it right and you don't have to you know people often think I have to go to class for this Uh, but you don't have to you can do this at home if you decide right fine what don't I want in an adult dog I don't want my adult dog to be scared of people I don't want my adult dog to be scared of noises and I don't want my adult dog to run and freak out whenever there's a storm so then you go all right fine what can i do to prepare my animal for that and the best thing to do is lots of loud noises because you can the reality is when you're doing habituation with your pet the whole point of habituation is to teach them to ignore irrelevant environmental stimuli so you want to teach them that this is something of no negative consequence this is not something that you should view as a threat to worry about exactly yeah absolutely but you know, when we're looking at puppies and, and socialization and habituation, it is absolutely impossible to habituate them to everything that they're going to encounter. So what you're trying to do when you do habituation with them is you're trying to teach them to have a, a, a positive cognitive bias where they explore novelty and they encounter, whenever they do encounter novelty, they are more positively likely to approach it from an emotionality perspective. So they'd be more curious than scared then automatically assume that it's going to be predicting something bad. Yes, absolutely. So what you do then is you introduce what's capable, what you're capable of in your environment. Like I said, when you've got a puppy, not just a small disclaimer, don't do this to the point where your dog is so nervous and so jumpy because every time he closes his eyes, a door gets slammed behind him. It's also about moderation. And when your dog is playing, for example, clap your hands once and then oh there's a good sausage here we go here's a piece of dog treat for you and 
gradually build it up. You don't start off at the higher end of the noises, you start off at the lower end and you build up. And every single time that something loud happens, something good needs to happen. And then what happens is the dog learns to associate loud noises with, ah, oh, it's not the end of the world. Actually, you know, it's pretty awesome because when this happens, good things happen and I feel great. You don't have to use a treat if you can't. You know, there are more ways to motivate dogs than just using food. You can play a game with them. Rachmaninoff is fantastic for noise desensitization. You started off nice and low <laughs> and then you gradually build it. But while you're playing that, or the Brandenburg Concerto is another one, while you're playing that, you're playing with your dog and you're playing his favorite game. So you're basically teaching him, and, and this works for adult dogs too, by the way, and cats. Um, you're basically teaching them that loud noises in my environment is of no negative consequence to me. So that's the long-term stuff. Great. Just before we start to, to track backwards, you were about to talk about adult pets and how we should try and desensitize adult pets, not just puppies and kittens. Okay, when you're dealing with an adult pet who doesn't have an existing noise phobia, um, you use the same principle. It's make a medium level noise, reward them with something positive. And like I said, it doesn't have to be food. It can be attention. You know, you're allowed to reassure your dog and you're allowed to reassure your cat. Um, I always say to people, because, you know, I often get the question of you, but then aren't you reinforcing the fear? I was about to add, that was, that's on my question list. Is yes, it a good idea to I, comfort I, I, cuddle I, during I, episodes? <laughs> you know what, let me, let me put this in human terms for you. Let's say that you have to go to hospital for something. It's not a life-threatening procedure that you have to undergo, but it's not going to be a pleasant thing. It is something that you're quite scared of. And your other half goes with you. How would you feel if you're sitting in your hospital bed before the procedure and you say to him or her, I'm really scared. I'm really, really nervous about this. How would you feel if he said absolutely nothing and just ignored you? Or if he got up and walked away while you're expressing how fearful you are? Would that make you feel any better in any way whatsoever? That's a great example. The only, the only thing I can say to that is I wish I had a partner. I can't experience it. <laughs> you know, or, or a good doctor. <laughs> if you have a good doctor that says, there, there, it's okay, don't worry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy springs to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I could be very I'm sure you'd feel very comfortable there. Exactly. Ah, but see it depends it depends on what he does if he just looked at you and went hmm, and walked away you wouldn't feel very comforted if he went there there it's okay let me <laughs> let me make you feel better absolutely <laughs> and and that's kind of what I what I tell people all the time you're allowed to reassure your pet because your pet looks at you as you are my safety signal I know that everything is okay depending on how you respond. If you don't normally ignore your dog or your cat and suddenly there's something that I am absolutely terrified down to my bones about and now you ignore me, now I've got yet another reason to be absolutely terrified of this thing. Because not only is it the original thing that I'm scared of, but you start behaving weird. And that adds to my anxiety. You know, you can reinforce behaviors. You can't reinforce emotions. Emotions are the things that also drive behavior and that drive what you do and how you do it. 
you know, there's a reason why a lot of animals who are thunderphobic try and break into places to try and get to a place where they feel safe because how you feel about stuff will influence what you do. So you're allowed to reassure your dog. I mean, if a child is scared of thunder, there isn't a parent on the planet, touch wood, I would hope, that says nothing and just leaves the child to experience the fear. You, you just don't do that, you know. So we don't have to do that to our animals. Um, a lot of owners also find it incredibly stressful to try and ignore their animals when they're terrified. Of course. Because your instinct says, you're scared, let me help you. So comfort is one side. However, however, and here's the I but. knew there was a but coming into this. <laughs> There's always a but. There's always a but. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you teach a coping mechanism to to get through a fearful experience, you have to make sure that that coping mechanism is available whether you're home or not. Mm-hmm. And this is where the problem comes in. Right. If your dog or your cat learns, I survive this when you're home and when I'm with you. Yeah. That's wonderful. It speaks positive things about the relationship that you have with your animal. But what happens when you're not at home? What happens if you're not available? So that's why we say to people, always make sure that your dog or your cat has a den available, a safe space where they've learned this is my happy place. This is where I can retreat to. That's always available 24-7. So if you leave your animals outside, for example, during the day, if it's a lovely, beautiful day, if you're not home for whatever reason and there is a storm, then their coping mechanism is not available to them. And that's usually where the wheels fall off. You will, you're fine to deal with things provided your coping mechanisms are in place. And as soon as your coping mechanisms are unavailable, that's when we have these emotional overreactions in animals. So normally I say to people, and I start having this conversation with people in January in prep for this time of year, because conditioning takes time. A safe space is not something that you introduce while your animal is emotionally upset. Remember, impressions count. If you decide, all right, fine, I am going to buy you a crate and I'm going to put a wonderful bed in the crate and I'm going to put a blanket over the crate 
and the first time that there are fireworks or there's a thunderstorm, I'm going to put you in the crate with a treat or, or a chew toy or a stuffed Kong or something like that um, and put the blanket over and now you're supposed to be fine because you have a den. I've put something nice in there to keep you busy and all of that. Um, normally I get a phone call a couple of hours later that says, <gasps> It's not working. My dog is trying to rip open the crate. Well, yes, of course, because as far as he's concerned, you've just locked him in a cage. And he's associating that with the with the phobia now, as opposed to the Absolutely. opposite. It's no longer his safe place because he didn't learn that before the storm. Yeah, it, it never was his safe space. You know? So the conditioning is the thing that makes the difference. You don't have to buy a crate. You don't have to have a specific space for your dog um, in the sense of buying a specific thing. Just a safe place. It's a conditioned safe place and it has to be available 24-7. So if you do have to leave your animals outside for whatever reason, condition them to have a safe space outside as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I, look, I must be honest, I am not a big fan of dog kennels, the, the outside variants, um, because if the sun is shining, they're as hot as an oven. Uh, and if it's raining, they get rained into. And if it's cold, they're useless. No, I agree with you. So... Normally, we, we look at what is available and we work around that. Um, but the rule of thumb is more good things need to happen in there than bad things. It is never a place, if you are going to use your dog's bed or, you know, under the couch or under the bed or somewhere like that, it is never a place that your dog is sent to for a timeout or a punishment or anything like that. It's a place where nobody bothers him except to provide good consequences. So when you have children, um, a bolt hole is a wonderful thing to have. But the rule is no little people near the dog when he's in his bed. So that that becomes a conditioned safe space. This is where I go to recharge. This is where my sanity is. I can lie over there on the floor, no problem. Or I can go lie on that couch. But when I'm there, I need to understand that people might bother me. When I'm on my bed... I have a choice about where I can go. So there's also an element of control that is being introduced for the dog. And control helps you to feel um, less apprehensive, less worried. More secure. Absolutely. We all want to have a little bit of control over our environment. You know, it's necessary for good emotional and behavioral health. Um, a really nice way to condition a safe space is to feed the dog his at least one meal a day there. It's, it, you know, you have to feed your dog twice a day anyway. You might as well do one of it in his bed. And all the chew toys that he gets, he gets given in his bed. If he chooses to take the toy and walk away with it, that's fine. The fact that it was delivered there is the important thing. Uh, if your dog is lying in his bed and you happen to walk past, don't, don't wake him up and go, oh, he's a good, no, no, yeah, you big fuss. Because that's his, his alone spot. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is you can drop a, a high value treat as you go and walk past and just leave him be so that he learns this is amazing. Good things fall from the sky when I'm in here. And then when there is uh, something that he's worried about, take him to his bed, sit next to him in his bed the first couple of times so that he also just learns to relax and be calm in his bed. I mean, look, there are copious amounts of relaxation protocols that you can use to teach him if you've got absolutely nothing to do and lots of time on your hands. Okay, well, let's just pause for a second because I don't want us to forget about cats. And it's the same, it's the same theory for cats, right? We have to create a safe space for them, a hiding space, and maybe one that's up high, think in 3D when it comes to cats. Yes. Um, I normally say to people, it depends on the cat. 
it's something you'll hear me say often is it depends because if you have an 11 year old arthritic cat placing a hiding spot up high is counterproductive so i normally say make sure that there are at least for cats one bolt hole per cat and one extra if you've got a double story house where you've got an upstairs and a downstairs, make sure that there's at least one bolt hole that's easily accessible on both sides. Cardboard boxes are the most amazing thing when it comes to cats. <laughs> really, you, you take a bog standard cardboard box, you fold all the bits in so that it's taped securely, and then you cut a little cat sized hole. Not a big one, it's just a little one. And make sure that the size of the hole corresponds with the width of the cat. Because if you have a very <laughs> thin hole in a big cat it's not gonna work <laughs> put a nice bed inside there nice soft bed uh, and then you introduce it by sprinkling some catnip in there um, you can put a little bit of handful of yummy treats kitty treats in there and if you are doing soft food or kibble that gets fed in there and then make sure that for specifically for cats the place well and for dogs actually the placement of the bolt hole is quite important you don't want to put it right smack in the middle of the living room where everybody walks up and down it has to be in a quiet corner, preferably in the same living room area. Like if you spend an awful lot of time in the kitchen mm -hmm. and that's the heart of your home, make sure that there's a bolt hole in there to the side because they often still want to be with us because there's a certain amount of comfort to be derived from our presence. But at the same time, um, it can't be right in the middle of high traffic areas. Cats will also tell you exactly what kind of bolt hole they like. If your cat goes under the bed, then always make sure that under the bed is available. You know, don't don't hide stuff under your bed. Your mother, your mother was right. Don't put stuff under your bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, if your cat prefers being in your cupboard and you don't mind having your cat in your cupboard, then always make sure that the cupboard is open a little bit so that your cat can get in there. Uh, just pay attention to them because they'll tell you where they feel safe. And if where they choose to feel safe is not a viable option, then provide something that is as close to that in terms of the way it looks, the, the size of it, the location of it, the smell of it. That's an acceptable alternative. Like my, my one cat really likes, actually it's my daughter's, she's my daughter's cat. She likes sleeping in my daughter's cupboard. <laughs> but my husband is very allergic to cats. And so having a child with cat hair on her clothing is a little bit counterproductive. So what we've done for her is because she really is my daughter's sole cat. She's got a little cat, little cat tunnel cave in my daughter's room. That's her spot. That's where she goes because she's already told me the location where she feels safe. She's told me the person that she wants to be the closest to when she's calm. Uh, and then, you know, if this is where I feel safe when I'm calm, this is also where I'm going to feel safe when I'm not calm. Yeah. And then, you know, you get for cats a variety of products that you can use from a, a homeopathic perspective. I normally say to people, speak to your vet before you use anything, uh, whether it's homeopathic or alternative or anything else, just please always chat to your vet because um, particularly when it comes to natural remedies, people seem to think that uh, if some is good, then more is better. And that is not always the case. You know, you can actually kill your pet. Yeah, some, some things are very toxic for sure. Absolutely. You know, particularly also, um, you know, when you look at human aromatherapy, tea tree oil is not good for animals no. it's, it's very you know it's a wonderful way to get rid of your cat in a not so pleasant fashion uh, so if you've got tea tree oil burners all over your house and you're aromatherapizing your house then you know you need to be aware of the impact that, that has on the health of your cats um particularly also like i said you know people tend to think that more is better so 
if you've got a dog who is on an anxiolytic or something like that, you don't want to go and give a supplement over and above that because it's a different product to all intents and purposes, but it's really not. Because again, you know, a lot of these medications and remedies have interactions that are not suitable. So before you give them anything, speak to your vet. Yeah, and I think I'm just gonna add to that because you know, not every vet is qualified to talk about aromatherapy or homeopathy. Some of them very much are, but not all of them are, but they can direct you to the right person to speak with for your particular pet. And and we are, vets aren't, we're not just equipped with medicines. We have lots of products that we recommend, such as pheromone treatments, food supplements. There's a lot of different alternatives that we can recommend before we get down the path of medication. So it's, it's a good Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. And and also, you know, your vet knows your particular animal's health status. Yeah. Uh, if you've got a cat who's, uh, you know, having renal problems, uh, they know what treatment they're using. They know about the medication, contraindications and all those kind of things. So I'm not a big fan of Dr. Google. Dr. Google is the bane of my existence. Um, I'm noticing a worrying trend on social media where people are asking for advice on serious problems in social media groups and then everybody and their best friend, everyone's an expert everyone's an expert um and you know i normally say to people that i have so i've got two versions of this conversation i'm going to use the professional one here now <laughs> i normally say to people you know i've been alive for x number of years and experiencing climate for x number of years but that doesn't make me a meteorologist so just because you've had dogs your whole life it doesn't make you a behaviorist or a vet yeah so be selective about who you ask for advice especially when it comes to real problems because it's very easy to make this worse it really is. Um, so for cats, like you said, there's lots of pheromone therapy, um, catnip, all kind of useful things. Speak to your vet because they'll be able to advise you the best. And then whenever you do want to find out about this, if you're um, speaking to a new vet or somebody like that, make sure that they know what medication your animal is getting at the moment because there are big risks associated with that. Just one other thing that I want to add, make sure that the vet explains to you or the behaviorist explains to you how the medication works. Alprazolam, mm -hmm. for example, is great for dealing with short-term fearful incidents, but that's not a good, I mean, it's a wonderful drug to use for that. But the thing that a lot of people don't know about- It's not long-term. Well, it's not long-term and it also suppresses memory. So you can't give a dog Alprazolam and then try and do conditioning exercises with him because he's not going to remember it. So just make sure that if medication is the only option, that you understand how it works and that it is used in conjunction with behavior therapy. That's a really good point. And I think I'm just going to add more to that as well, is that any vet who is giving medication for noise phobia will always, should always um, advise you on how to titrate it to effect and to start well in advance of any noise phobic situation so that you understand the impact that medication will have on your particular pet and you don't end up overdosing or worse. So it's very important. Thanks for that, Karen. Um, you mentioned, and I'm very conscious of the time. So actually, before I bring you back, I want to talk about, you talked about relaxation techniques. So I want to come back if we can and just touch on it. But can we just talk about short-term uh, on-the-spot management? So if the fireworks and when the fireworks are happening, what can we do in the moment to help our pets? At that moment, the best thing to do is to try and drown out the background noise. Close your curtains, um, put on the TV, but not so loud that that becomes a problem in itself. And try and carry on doing normal, everyday nice things with your dog. If your dog just wants to lie next to you, let them. 
you know, if, if that's how they're managing to get through this, put the TV on, um, draw the curtains, like I said, put music on so that it drowns out some of the background noise. And then try and coax them to engage in activities that they enjoy. If it's grooming, then groom them. If it's play, if they love playing tug, then play tug. If they're very food motivated, you know, the best way to test or the easiest way to test for normal people um, if your dog is really scared or not, is offer a treat that they normally would take and preferably a high value treat. So if your dog loves cheese and normally will sell a kidney for a piece of cheese and now you offer him a piece of cheese while there's a, a thunderstorm or fireworks and he doesn't want to take the cheese, that means your dog is scared. Yeah. So then what you do in the moment is you, you do whatever is necessary to get him through it. And then once the moment is through, you start working on counter conditioning and you start teaching him how to be okay with these kinds of things. Um, it also depends on the animal. Like I said, some of them want to just lie next to you and others want to hide under things. Don't drag your dog out from under the bed to try and play with him yeah, oh God. If, if he's scared. Yeah. <laughs> just leave him alone. You know, Be there, be supportive, be comforting. Um, but also watch your own behavior. Animals yeah. are very attuned to what we do. And for a lot of pet owners, particularly pet owners with animals who are scared of thunder or scared of fireworks this time of year, um, I see a lot of people getting very angry about fireworks and people letting off fireworks and they storm around the house and they post about it on social media and all sorts of things. And it's an awful lot of anger. Now your dog sees that and that's out of the norm. And that just contributes to the dog's fearfulness. So try and do something that is calming mm -hmm. for both of you. Yeah. And that's kind of short-term emotional support. Yeah. So setting them up for success. Setting both of you up for success. Absolutely. And try and stick to your normal routine. If you eat dinner at seven o'clock, eat dinner at seven o'clock. If you cook with the music on, then cook with music on. Let them be with you. And this time when you fall over them for the fifth hundredth time, don't <laughs> chase them out the kitchen. Uh, let them be with you, uh, but try and stick to your normal routine as much as possible. Yeah. And don't react yourself. I think that's like the key. Yeah. That's, that is a big thing. Yeah. Okay. Well quickly, if we can squeeze it in, um, just talk us through some, some relaxation techniques you mentioned. <laughs> so, yeah, um, you know, one of the most commonly used relaxation protocols uh, is basically where you teach the dog to go lie on his bed and settle on cue. The thinking behind it is that if you uh, teach the dog to settle on cue, for example, uh, when you say to him, all right, fine, go settle, because it's such an established behavior that re results in relaxation and eventually sleep, you say, all right, fine, go settle. Now there's all that conditioning and that learning that then kicks in. But have to be honest with you, it very much depends on the level of anxiety and fear that the animal is experiencing. Because, you know, you can say to me on a Saturday afternoon, go settle on your bed and have a nap. And boy, I'm out before my head hits the pillow but you know if there's a room full of spiders you can tell me settle as much as you want but it's no chance no so that has limited success but the principle behind it is the conditioning of this is a place where good things happen and this is a place where when you get there you relax great that's in a very small nutshell thank you so much karen it's been so lovely to chat with you thanks a million <laughs> it's a pleasure Well, that's all for this episode of The Pet Pod. My thanks once more to Karen. And if you want to find out more about her work with Cope International, then you'll find links in the show notes. 
Please don't forget that nobody ever knows your pet like you do. So if you're ever worried or concerned about their health, make sure to contact your own local veterinary practice. My thanks again to our sponsors, YouMove, and don't forget to check out their website for a chance to win a year's supply for your dog, cat, or horse. Now, to make sure you receive the next episode, please do like and subscribe, and thanks again for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 